You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James. And welcome, everyone, to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Amy Jinden, Chief Marketing Officer at LifeSpeak. On today's episode, Amy will be talking to us about a recent survey conducted by LifeSpeak on the importance of employee belonging in the workplace. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. We are really excited to have you on the show, and I can't wait to dive into uh, talking about the survey that LiveSpeak did. Um, But before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the Chief Marketing Officer at LifeSpeak Inc., which is a mental, physical, and family well-being benefit for organizations. Um, Prior to my career in marketing, I actually was a mental health crisis management clinician working at psychiatric emergency rooms and crisis centers. So um, this is a, you know, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Well, I think it's a great topic. And that's a interesting background. You really great perspective on the topic of well being and mental health that we're going to be talking about. I do think that we we try as often as we can to talk about mental health on the show because I think it's continued to be such a top concern for employees and employers, a difficult subject for employers to kind of get their arms around. And I think this new survey that your company has done sort of highlights this ongoing struggle. The results seem to show that this commitment, you know, when an employer commits to well-being wholeheartedly in a really super supportive manner, it can really improve the workplace culture and that employer-employee relationship, which is what we're always talking about on the show. But before we get started talking about the specifics of the survey and what the research showed you, let's talk first about belonging. So what we want to talk about today was focusing on this idea of belonging in the workplace, creating a culture of belonging. But let's sort of level the playing field. And why don't you tell our listeners, when you talk about belonging in context, in the context of the survey, that that you mean? Yeah. So the way that we define belonging in the workplace is that every employee who belongs feels accepted, respected, and valued by their colleagues and the organization as a whole. So that's how we really define it. Okay. And then let's talk a little bit about the parameters of the survey, the who, when, what type of questions, how many people, who'd you target, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, so we partnered with a market research firm called Lighthouse Research and Advisory to help us conduct this survey. And what we did was we had them ask a thousand employers, so mostly HR executives, but also some CEOs and others in the leadership or C-suite. And then we also asked a thousand employees in organizations of various sizes across North America. So that's really who we were targeting. And originally, the purpose of the survey was to better understand and uncover insights around employee wellness initiatives and benefits and what's working and what's not. And it was actually belonging was an outcome of the survey that was um, really surprising to us that came out of the results and the answers to the questions. That's really interesting. I always like to find out when people do surveys, like what did surprise you? That's really interesting. I love those unintended. I don't know. It's not unintended. That's not the right word, but those sort of like, wow, we didn't, we didn't didn't realize that was going to come up. What didn't surprise you about the survey results that you found? What didn't surprise me is that mental health is not really improving for people. I think, you know, one of the things that we saw a lot in the news during COVID was that COVID became the scapegoat for all things mental health and and struggling and burnout. But the reality is, is that burnout and mental health challenges have been a long, long time issue, especially in the workplace. And so as the pandemic became better and lockdowns ended and people, you know, went back into the office and connected, we still found a lot of the same challenges that have always been there. It's just that COVID really took the limelight for a while as the reason behind it. It's really interesting. COVID, I I totally agree. And I, I also think that's because I'm the eternal optimist, but the interesting part about COVID was it brought it to the fore. It gave people that platform to talk about those things in a workplace context more readily than they would have otherwise. They didn't have to bring it up out of the blue. And it was also something that sort of was impacting everybody right, in one way or another, which... I was sort of hoping would normalize, would help to normalize the conversation around mental health in the workplace. Yeah. And I think it was definitely a great, you know, equalizer in a lot of ways. Like none of us for a while could leave our homes. None of us had access to a lot of the normal things that we could normally access. And I think that it did spark a conversation. But, you know, what we found, especially in this survey, is that employers were not equipped to be having those kinds of conversations. You know, HR is not trained in mental health crisis management. And all of a sudden, they were tasked with this impossible ask of how do we support support our employees when, you know, we're not clinical professionals and we don't really know what to do here. And there are many, many different facets to it. There's our policies, there are our benefits, there's our culture, there's training managers. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that, you know, some organizations 
rose to the occasion and a lot sort of check some boxes and hope that they were doing enough. Yeah, it's true. It's not, you know, it's not a typical HR function. In the survey, did did you ask any questions about employees utilizing employee assistance programs? Did it touch on that at all? We did ask about um, improvements in employee well-being benefits in general, but more holistically than just employee assistance programs. I know from my personal work that EAP utilization is still relatively low. It averages about 2% across the board. But I think the bigger challenge in benefits is that employees don't even know what they have. And, um, you know, there's a lot of research out there, not necessarily our survey, but that finds that only about 30% of employees and the numbers go down as you go younger in the generations really have any concept of what their employee benefits are. So I think there's a big disconnect between what is getting communicated from HR and from leadership and what is getting retained. That's interesting because the younger generations, everything you read about the younger generations and you hear is that mental health in the workplace is a huge issue for them. Super important. Very important. Yeah. And and I think one of the things that the younger generations are pushing for is, um, and I know this is more of a U.S. thing than more globally, but not to rely on an open enrollment period in the fall, but really to have these benefits education happen year round because people forget, frankly, I forget and I'm in the benefits space. <laughs> I know. And I, it's interesting on the EAPs because I read an article the other day that was saying that they're just not being utilized, that most yeah. employees are not utilizing them. And I was wondering, sort of like, well, what it didn't really talk about what was specifically behind it. Was it unaware, you know, people just being unaware of what it is and that they have access to it? Or is it the stigma attached to it? Yeah, I think in in many cases, it's that a lot of people don't think that they can even go to their employer for something like this. It doesn't even occur to them. And so if they're not really paying attention to what their employee benefits are beyond, you know, the really obvious ones like your health care or your health plan and your 401k and all of that, then they just it doesn't even occur to them to ask their manager for something like that. But I also, you know, we find at LifeSpeak that confidentiality is huge especially when it comes to substance use mm-hmm. management. And, you know, we've seen increases in that over the last few years, especially with more people working from home now. I think there's there's a trust issue that they want to make sure that whatever they're talking about with a crisis a crisis counselor with their EAP, whatever education they're reading through their EAP's platform, that that is not at all bubbled up to anyone else at the organization. Yeah, and I think that's important. Um, I remember, you know, in litigate, I used to litigate a lot of disability discrimination lawsuits. And in the latter years, um, invasion of privacy claims became quite commonplace to add on to a claim of discrimination. Because what we were finding from the plaintiff's perspective was that when 
companies use these third-party service providers to deal with disabilities. The people at, at the company, at the employee's organization, who were receiving these updates from the third-party provider were sending out these updates to this mass email list of people that they felt on their own needed to know what was going on with this employee. So mm -hmm. you'd see in some cases, especially smaller companies, they put everybody on the email update list from the president of the company down to the, you know, the second shift manager. It was, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's not a, a malicious thing. No. It's, a, it's a misperception about who needs to know this information when it comes to relaying how whatever the employee is going through is impacting the company's ability to get the work done. Right. I mean, HIPAA. And, real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, you know, and and in that context it really takes thought and training to to have people understand what information needs to go back and and who needs to know and how much do they need to know. One of the things that struck me when you're talking and this came up the other day uh in a conversation I was having about uh overall training in companies just along with the wage and hour and the supervisor training, wellness training became a, a, a topic. And I think that's really important. And it seems to go with what you're saying in the survey found that people don't know. So it seems like wellness training would be a good thing where you are going in and talking about, hey, this is what's offered. This is what you have. I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And wellness training on on many different levels, um, we find a lot that if managers aren't aware of what's available and how to have sensitive conversations and how to check in with employees in a professional but still empathetic way, that can have a major impact on retention, productivity, belonging, all of that. I think that wellness training needs to happen at a lot of different levels and look a little bit different depending on the role of the person at the organization. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get more into the uh, more into what the survey found and some of the results that you discovered. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking about creating a culture of belonging. We are talking about a new survey that was done by a company called LifeSpeak. Um, so, Amy, let's get back to it. What were some of the key findings um, of the survey? Yeah. So again, originally we had asked this survey because we wanted to understand well-being in the workplace. And what we found was that belonging and well-being are inextricably linked. That if you don't have a sense of belonging, meaning you don't feel accepted and respected and valued at work, then it really doesn't matter what your organization is doing to support your overall well-being because you as an as an employee will essentially feel 
as though you're not supported. And so culture matters as much as all of the different initiatives and programs and benefits that individuals are putting in place. One of the things that we found is that employees with low belonging scores, meaning they didn't feel as though they belonged in the in their organization were 59% more likely to consider quitting their job due to mental health concerns. So their belonging was really impacted um, by actually reverse that their mental health was really impacted by their ability to feel like they belong. And then, you know, when we dove into that a little bit further to understand, well, are there patterns within, um, you know, specific demographics in, in an organization where that is more so the case than others? We found, you know, women are 30% more likely than men to say their employer doesn't offer a culture of health and well-being and belonging. Employees of color are 50% more likely to use employer-sponsored health and well-being resources on a monthly basis. So, you know, those individuals tend to be struggling a bit more. And then working mothers are actually three times more likely to feel unsure of whether they feel safe enough to talk about their own mental health in the workplace. So definitely when we look at more of the marginalized populations, when we look at people of color, when we look at women, when we look at working parents, we find that those are the cohorts that are struggling the most with mental health and belonging. That's really interesting. A couple of things come to mind are, one, I wonder how much stereotypical concepts of employers come into those feelings. Do what do you, you mean? Well, do you think that uh, is it is it a perception or is it a reality? In other words, with regard to, you know, my workplace culture, have things actually not changed in such a long time that, for example, pregnant mother, you know, mothers, working mothers, it's interesting to to think it's such a long standing perception. I just hate the fact that it doesn't seem that we've gotten anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at the US and you look at family leave as an example, we are only one of two countries in the entire world that does not offer a national paid leave for mm -hmm. mothers, fathers, parents in general. So I think from a from a parent perspective, I don't see that we've improved too much. I know now I think we're at nine of the 50 states have a state level paid program. But, you know, like, for example, I work for a company headquartered in Canada and that's a very different scenario there where mothers get a year of paid leave off for having a child. So I, I definitely think that there are still a lot of challenges as a working parent, especially a working mother. Mm -hmm. I also think we live in a culture where women try and are socialized to be everything, right? Like we have to be the primary parent and we have to uh, kick butt at work. And we 
are taking on so much that that naturally creates a lot more stress for working mothers because it's more than we can possibly do without proper support from our families, from our communities, from our organizations. I don't know how much progress we've made. I also know that, you know, with the economy where it is right now, I've talked to a lot of chief diversity equity and inclusion officers who've been let go or whose programs have been fully cut or partially cut because of, um, you know, budget constraints. And so when you look at people of color or women of color, um, it seems as though these challenges that are are pervasive are the first things to go when we've got hard times economically, which is really such a shame because it feels like one step forward, two steps back in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I think it is the reality. We just haven't come that far. I think that, you know, when you, when you look and you, you read up on these issues and it seems like everybody's talking about it and it's so hopeful because if they're talking about it, it's got to be affecting change. How can you not have this on your mind and affect change in the workplace? But I think in some places, there's a disconnect between the realization that we definitely need these things like the DEI programs in our companies and the leave issues and all of that. We definitely need that. But there seems to be a disconnect between actually knowing we need it and implementing it in an effective and inclusive way. Right. Such, such that we are making progress. And and I, I think that seems to be the disconnect. Um, yeah. And, and speaking with a number of HR executives, what they're telling me is that with where we are in our economic times, they've never been under more pressure to prove their return on investment with their programs. And some of these things that we're talking about, they're a bit softer on the data side, you know, DE&I, mental health and well-being, those are long games. Those aren't something that you put in place for a year, assess whether it's working or not, and then cut. I mean, those are things that need to be in place um, for generations in order to really see the impact And so, you know, I hate to say this, but I feel like there's education that needs to happen on the uh, at the chief financial officer side of things to say like, hey, you know, not everything that we're talking about here is going to have an immediate return on investment. But it is when you think about turnover and you think about retention and and the cost of that. I mean, people are continuing to leave the workforce because of these issues. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. There is a direct financial correlation between the two, um, but it is a long game. And I I completely agree with that. Well, in the few minutes that we have, I want to talk a little bit about what employers and employees can do to sort of work on creating this culture of belonging. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that I had mentioned briefly earlier is uh, really educating managers and training them. There's uh, something I learned just on Tuesday, actually, I was speaking with a clinical psychologist who was presenting on mental health in the workplace, and she called the empathy action gap. She said 75% 
of managers can tell when someone is struggling or needs help, but only 15% feel equipped to know what to do. And so I think we have a lot of people in in our organizations who know that something is wrong, but don't have the tools to address it. And so having trainings in place for managers to be able to offer the EAP or offer the well-being benefit or, you know, have a conversation about whether someone needs to take family or medical leave and remind them that that's available to them is uh, hugely important, especially as a retention strategy, ultimately. So I think that's one thing. I also think that, you know, depending on the size of the organization, employee resource groups are hugely beneficial um, to organizations. I've got clients who have thriving working parents, ERGs, where, you know, especially parents of young children, where it can be very stressful at times and very time consuming, can bond and create a culture within their organization's culture to support them um, through, you know, all of those life changing experiences. And then I think at the individual contributor level, I think we have to take a page from these uh, Gen Zers and really start speaking up. It's important because if we're not speaking up, then there really isn't an opportunity to share what's working and what's not working. And so for those employees who are lucky enough to have the psychological safety to share with their manager or share with HR around what they need in terms of flexibility or resources or education, um, we really need more voices out there. And I think Gen Z in particular is really leading the way in terms of having that level of empowerment. But we all we all need to be doing that. Absolutely. That's why they give me so much hope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for that. So in our last few minutes, do you uh, can you give us your sort of words of wisdom or thoughts for the future on this issue? Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing that I always try to keep in mind in these situations is that one size fits none. I mean, this is this is complex well-being and belonging they're they are truly reflections of life and everyone needs something a little bit different and so as organizational leaders come up with policies and initiatives and programs to really support their culture and their employees well-being i think really honing in on this idea that one size fits none and and how can i have as much flexibility as possible to support all of these different nuances that we all have within our own well-being and belonging needs, I think the more successful we will be in um, really turning the tide on these issues. I absolutely agree. Thank you, Amy, for joining us today and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom with us on this really important issue. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You can learn more about Amy and LifeSpeak by visiting www.lifespeak.com. That's L-I-F-E-S-P-E-A-K.com. You can also connect with Amy via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspective's team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts. 
Our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Want to thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. And that's how we do it. I'm like, are we good? Can yeah. we breathe? <laughs> <laughs>